Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Let's stand as we open God's Word together. Matthew chapter 9, picking up where we left off last week, also looking at a text that was part of our 2020 vision series a year ago. Uh, We're going to seek to perhaps see some aspects of this text that we didn't look at a year ago, but you might remember that this was one of those texts that we visited. I seldom visit the same text in uh, that short a period of time, but I believe the Lord would have us not skip this and go right to Matthew 10. I look forward next week to get into Matthew 10 as we talk about the commissioning of the 12, because it goes perfectly with the fact that we're going to have a really an ordination is a commissioning service. Um, so I'm looking forward to that next Sunday and hope that you'll be here. All right, you found your place. We'll begin with verse 35. And it says, Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Father, that is what we want to pray this day, that you would raise up workers to go out into this world that is a harvest field, and that we would be found faithful doing your work with a sense of urgency. Now I pray that you would take this truth, the principles of this text, show us how to apply it to our life and change how we approach the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to speak to you this morning on royal ambition. Royal ambition. If there's a subtitle, it's Kingdom Urgency. Kingdom Urgency. Urgency is a word that is certainly in our vocabularies today, but often the word urgency is applied to those areas that are least important to our lives. The places that we're rushing to get to, the things that we're in such a hurry to get done, often are those things that are pushing kingdom things to the back burner, causing things of God to take a back seat in our lives. So I would not tell you that we need to live without a sense of urgency, but the right things need to find urgency in our lives. Many of you have heard the story again and again of Paul Revere and his warning, the British are coming, but few of us have heard the name Israel Bissell. This is just a snippet of his story. After the Battle of Lexington and Concord on April 19, 1775, Israel Bissell was ordered to raise the alarm in New Haven, Connecticut goes on to say that he reached Worcester, Massachusetts. Now, some people call that Worcester, or Worcester, but uh, I've been told that the proper pronunciation is Worcester, Massachusetts. I'll have to ask Larry if I got that one right later. Um, but it's normally, a, it would have been a day's ride horseback. He reached it in two hours. And according to tradition, when he reached this town, his horse dropped dead. Now, I don't think you should ride a horse that hard unless it is definitely urgent. Pausing only to get another mount. Pressed, Bissell pressed on 
By April 22nd, he was in New Haven, Connecticut. But he didn't stop there. He rode on to New York, arriving on April 24th, and then stayed in the saddle until he reached Philadelphia the next day. His 126-hour ride covered 345 miles and signaled American militia units throughout the Northeast that it was urgent that they be mobilized for war. Now that is a sense of urgency. How urgent do you see kingdom things? How important is the kingdom of God concerning advancing in your heart and in your life and you advancing it in our world? What gives us a sense of urgency? We've already seen in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 6 and verse 33 that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. That was in the context of all those things that we might be worried about in this world. It says we shouldn't be such worry warts, (laughs) but we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so there should be a royal ambition in our lives. People should, that, that know us should be able to say about us, listen, one thing I can say about them, the things of God take priority in their life. What gets your greatest energies? When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandments were, and we'll see this in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord with God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so loving God and loving people in such a way that seeks first the kingdom and advances God's kingdom in this world, that should be our royal ambition. That should be the sense of urgency that drives us. And something should be evident in our lives when other people look at us and they should say about the people of God, listen, they take kingdom things very seriously. They're urgent about it. There's a sense of of, of royal ambition. They're a part of something big that's much bigger than even the American Revolution. Revolution. Matthew's Gospel lays out this vision for kingdom impact we've been looking at. Noble living in a needy world. And and we've mentioned how the church, Matthew chapter 5, should be a preview of coming attractions. When people look into the life of the church, they should see, man, that's how you do kingdom life. A preview of what the kingdom of God is going to look like when it's manifest in its full. We, We have many examples today that remind us that This is not the fulfillment of the kingdom in which we live. Many examples of human depravity around us when we think about even what happened this past week in Paris. When I preached this text the last time, it was right after the bombing had happened during the Boston Marathon. And so when we we think of the various reminders that are going on in the world today, we're reminded that Humanity is depraved. As a matter of fact, I don't know how the, the secular humanists, I don't know how the atheists handle this. The, the, the secular humanist who says, you know what? Mankind is the greatest in, and, and we're all getting better. Is, is humanity really getting better? I don't think so. I, I don't think we're, we're looking at our world and saying, well, you know what? That country's kind of arrived. They're where they should be. We should all be like them. If anything, the, the depravity of humanity is revealing itself more and more. This week, out of frustration, I don't agree with everything Bill O'Reilly says, but when he was talking about those things that were taking place because of radical jihadists in this world, Bill O'Reilly made this statement. He said, we're either going to live in a civilized world or we're going to be destroyed. 
thought that makes a lot of sense. Now, he may not agree with the prophetic passages as they relate to what's going to happen in the last days. But he was asking the question, where's the war on jihad? This is a crazy world and radicals are kind of taking it over. And, and, and few of us are seeking to do anything about it. Now listen, I do believe there are government responsibilities, things that, that should be enforced and things that should take place. After all, the Scripture says the government does not bear the sword in vain. So I know that there are certain military responsibilities, law enforcement responsibilities for things that are going on to maintain order in the world. But Christians also have to answer to a higher order, and that is the kingdom of God, the principle of God, the standards of God. And we should be advancing the kingdom with a sense of urgency, not the way the crusaders tried to do it by the sword, but by grace, by the Spirit of God, and by taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nation. So how do we live with a sense of urgency? How can we live with a greater sense of urgency? when it comes to kingdom and royal ambition. First of all, we need to fulfill Christ's holistic ministry as a first priority. But by holistic, I'm not talking about some radical New Age approach to doing ministry. I'm talking about realizing that Jesus cares about the whole person. He loves people. And so in verse 35, it says, Jesus went to all the towns to the villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom. And let's be very clear about this. The preaching and teaching of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ was the greatest priority. When we think of missions today and when, when our missions team talks about missionaries will support, mission trips we will take, we realize that the most urgent message that must go out is the Gospel of Jesus Christ because the greatest sickness people are experiencing is sin sickness. They need a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can do a lot of wonderful things, and we're going to talk about those in the second part of this verse. We can do a lot of wonderful things, but if we neglect the preaching and the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we neglect to tell people Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then we're doing them an injustice, and of all the good deeds we could do for them, we're being unloving, if we don't tell them how they can gain heaven, miss hell, and have a relationship with the God who created them through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's got to be the most urgent need. Say, well, there's a lot of other things that are important in the Bible, and there are that we love people is important. That we connect with people is important. But usually it's important because we need to be able to open up a channel to show the love of Christ, to communicate the gospel. Worship is a priority. And we should be worshiping in a way that is that is spirit-filled and contagious and that others would want to be a part of it. So, so worship is a priority. But let me tell you something. When we get to heaven, worship. I, I've seen descriptions of it in the book of Revelation. I can't wait to experience it one day. Worship in heaven is going to be incomparable to anything we've ever experienced on earth. I can't wait to one day be around the throne of God, celebrating the Lamb of God for all the great things He has done for us. But our witness is something that will be limited in heaven. You say, well, limited? How can anything be limited in heaven? Listen, there will be no unbelievers there for us to witness to. So that's why even though worship is just a bigger priority as witnessing, witnessing is of much greater urgency because we will not have an opportunity to tell lost people about Jesus Christ once we get to heaven. So the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
Taking this word to the world has got to be of greatest urgency and priority in our lives. So Jesus was preaching and teaching the gospel. But he was also, and this, this is the holistic aspect of this. Jesus, it says, not only was preaching the good news, but he was healing every disease and every sickness. Literally there in the Greek, it's every kind of disease Every kind of sickness. What was Jesus doing? We've seen it in Matthew chapter 9, haven't we? He even raised a little girl from the dead. He healed the sick. He was out in this world touching lives. Did every sick person on the face of the earth experience healing when he walked on this earth? No. And we don't understand why the sovereign hand of God does certain things in some people's lives, but we know that God answers prayer. God touches lives. God brings healing in a way that only God can get the glory. And the same Christ who was doing this holistic ministry in this text has ascended and sent His Holy Spirit to do His work through us today. And so we're to still share with people that Jesus can save, deliver, and heal like He's always been able to do. And so we're to touch lives. We're to minister to people. In times of grief, we're to touch and minister. When somebody's going through tragedy, we're to be there for them. The church, as, as Dr. Johnny Hunt said when he was president of our denomination, he said, we should love loud. And when the church is seen in public, that's one reason. I know folks here sometimes will come to me and say, Pastor, why aren't we out there doing more fundraisers and things like that for various events? And Because I'm always kind of the killjoy saying, no, any kind of fundraiser we're going to do is going to target the church and not the folks out there. And that's because when the people who aren't in church see the church, I don't want us to be seen as people who are asking them for something. I want us to be seen as people who are giving them something, who are blessing them, who are ministering to them, who are saying, we're here for you. And we've seen that God can take care of us as we're about His mission, making a difference in the world. And so we should be seen out there loving people, ministering to them, meeting them where they are. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. And then in that loving, we open up doors for sharing the gospel. You know, there's two extremes today. Uh, one of the extremes that I often allude to is what we might call the, 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 the mainline ecumenical extreme of, of saying, you know what, we've got to be the church and get out there and love people. And so they do all kinds of social ministry, which is good, and, the, and they make connections with people. And, and they give people food and, and water, and they minister healing and sometimes in medical missions and all kinds of things. And then they never share that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And what good have we done them if they are warm and well-fed, but they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So one extreme is kind of, kind of on that side of, of, of theological liberalism. We just get out there and love people and do all these wonderful things for them. But we don't give them their greatest need, which is a relationship with Jesus. On the other extreme, it might be more the evangelical conservative side, like people like me, that we are so serious about sharing the gospel, we forget that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so we've got to be about both. There's a holistic approach to this. Get out there, serve, and love people. Make a difference in their life. And the Doors of communication will open and you'll be able to share who Jesus is and what He's done in your life. I remember my first uh, 
international mission trip. I was 17 years old, and it was a trip with a lot of students from Trinity Baptist Church. And it was to Haiti. At that time, Haiti was called the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Now I believe it's the poorest country in the world. But it was the poorest country in, in the Western Hemisphere. And I remember thinking, why am I going to Haiti? And, and I remember getting on that, that airplane and, and you know, thought, will this thing really get us from Florida to Haiti? <laughs> and, and when I got off the airplane, I remember the stench. How many of you have been to Haiti before? Several of you. Good number in this church. I've been to Haiti. And I remember, you remember the smell, right? First thing, you rem- first thing people talk about when they get off the plane in Haiti is the smell. Man, for two weeks I'm going to smell this? It was the smell of death, and it, and it was all over the country. And, and I remember doing missions that week, and we were preaching and teaching in churches, and we were singing and sharing the love of Christ. And, and, and every time one of the kids around the, the little compound we were staying at would come to me, I remember one guy in particular, he would say, Rabbi, Rabbi, give me your shoes. And I would think, supposed to give him my shoes. And I really thought that's what I was supposed to do. And then the missionaries would tell us, no, if you give one your shoes, there's about a million of them that are going to be here and they're going to hate you if you don't have shoes for them. So don't give your shoes. And by the way, their feet can handle this ground. Yours can't. And so, Robbie, Robbie, give me your shoes, you know. And if you've got enough for all, give them the shoes. You know. And so I was like, I man, he's always asking, am I supposed to give him my shoes or not? And I remember the last day we were getting ready to leave Haiti and I thought, have we really made a difference? We've been doing all this work. We've been building. We've been singing, been preaching. And I heard this voice again, Rabbi, Rabbi. And, and, and I turned around and looked, and there he was. And I thought, he's, he's about to say it. Give me your shoes. And, and, and some of the girls had been working with some sign language or something. And he looked at me and he said, I love you. And he ran up and he hugged my neck. Broke my heart. But I realized, well, maybe, maybe it was making a difference. Maybe the message of Christ was getting through. Because when we go and we serve and we love people, It creates an environment of receptivity. Then we can ask the tough questions. Do you have assurance of salvation in your life? We've got to be about the work of Jesus Christ. We've got to fulfill His holistic ministry as a first priority. There's got to be a sense of urgency about that. And then, if we do that, secondly, feeling His heart for people will follow. Filling the heart of Jesus for people follows. Many of us need to grasp this this morning because we pray for the reverse to take place. It follows obedience. Look with me at the next verse, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, why were the crowds there? Well, let's go back to Matthew chapter 8 and 9. What had Jesus been doing? He had been touching lives. He had been doing the work of the ministry that God had called him to do. He had been preaching and teaching in their synagogues. He had been going from village to village. He had been obedient to do what the Father sent him to do. And as a result, the crowds began to gather. And then it says he felt compassion for them. Compassion followed his commitment to do the ministry he was called to do. And the reason I say that is this morning so many of us are like, well, you know what, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to make Him number one priority in my life. I want to touch people. I want to make a difference in my world. So we find a place and we begin to pray, Lord, just give me compassion. Break my heart for lost people. And here's what God is saying. Get out there and serve. Get out there and love. Get out there and share the Gospel. 
And if you have a few doors slammed in your face, if you have people make fun of you at school, if you have people put you down in the work for living a different life, and you love them anyway, all of a sudden God will break your heart and you will have that compassion for people. It follows action. We're like, well, when I get the compassion, I'll get active. No, get active and the compassion will follow. It's action, showing compassion. And then the feelings follow. How did he see the world? He saw the world weary. Some translations say harassed. People that were vulnerable and exploited. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through we see that last days, perilous times will come. This world is going to be crazy. But Timothy was to keep his head in all of that. He was to be different in all of that. It says that they were scattered. The word scattered there is from the Greek ripto, which means to be thrown down or, or cast down. It's the word that was used in Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, when it says Jesus threw down, I mean, Judas threw down the pieces of silver that he had received for betraying Christ. In Luke chapter 4, we see a demon-possessed man who's thrown a man down. It's the same word that says if, if we offend the little ones, we would be better off to have a millstone and thrown down into the sea. In other words, people are in a desperate state in this world to where they feel like they don't know what hit them. Have you ever been there? Some of us have forgotten what it's like to be there, including me. We've forgotten what what it's like to be in that situation where we don't know what's hit us. Remember when I was 17 years old, a senior in high school, and it was uh, one of those nights I was, after my curfew, coming home. <laughs> and, and back in those days, parents didn't have a cell phone in their kids' hands like we do today. There's some good uses of Cell phones for teenagers, right? Parents didn't, you know, they couldn't just call their kid's cell phone and say, where are you? You're supposed to be home by now. No, what, what would happen in my house was my mom would probably say something to my dad like, you need to go look for him. <laughs> he's not home yet. Who knows what could happen to that car that he's driving. Uh, you need to go look for him. And so that night I left Madison County High School. I had been dropped back off, got my car, and headed back up or back down south on Highway 29 from Danielsville toward Diamond Hill. And my dad left about the same time, <laughs> headed toward Danielsville. As I topped the hill, just past where the Hankins lived, just past Booger Hill Road, I topped that next little hill where you could see, you know, about another mile ahead down the hill and up the next hill, I saw what looked, appeared to be a couple of cars kind of crisscrossing the road. Headlights just kind of crisscrossing. I didn't think much of it at the time until I topped the next hill and all I saw was smoke. What was interesting is I was headed south on 29 and my dad was headed north on 29. We were the first to, ar- to arrive on a head-on collision that had happened just before we got there. As a matter of fact, we, the first thing that I noticed from the side that I came from was half of a car sitting in the middle of the road and a man laying in the middle of the highway. And then further on up, there was a car that just happened to be about the same color as the one I was driving. So my dad thought probably I was in the wreck first, especially when he called my name and I answered. <laughs> but, I, but, but neither of us were in the accident. We immediately went into, not, where were you? Why weren't you home yet? But a sense of urgency, a sense that something needs to be done. 
As a matter of fact, one car had gone off the road, come back on, slid sideways. Another car had hit it broadside. We only saw half of the car that was broadside. We saw the other car. I walked a young lady to a house whose mouth was bleeding. We got her some help, called 911. Meanwhile, my dad was tending to the fellow who was laying in the middle of the highway. Uh, Really kind of a dangerous situation, kind of a scary situation. I won't go into all that, but I will say this. I wasn't feeling a lot of compassion at the moment. I was just responding to an urgent need, not knowing what I was doing. Thanking God that my dad had come to look for me and shown up on the scene. Quite honestly, I can't remember how much or if any trouble I got into later because there was a sense of urgency at the moment. Not, Not a feeling of compassion, sense of urgency. But a week later, I believe both individuals recovered fairly well from the accident, surprisingly, even though we found one half of the car over in the bushes, some 150, 200 feet maybe from the highway, we are, are from the accident scene on the highway. Um, both of the individuals survived the accident. But, but I'm sitting in the classroom and a young lady who I graduated with said, Robbie, uh, I heard you were up on that accident. You were the first one to arrive to that accident. I said, well, yeah, actually, me and my dad were both there. Um, she said, well, that was, that was my brother that was in that accident. And then... I felt compassion. At that moment, I felt compassion. My heart went out for his situation. I heard a little bit of his story, which had been kind of a rough life, been involved in some things. Maybe God used this to get his attention. I don't know. But at that moment, I felt compassion. Not in the sense of urgency, but but see, compassion, when we do, when we respond to the urgent situation that our world is in, they've been thrown down. They've been scattered. They've been harassed. They're in a wreck, and often it's due to their own actions, whether it's by drugs, sexual sin, affairs, tempers that get the best of them, sin gets a grip on them and throws them down and they're in a wreck of a mess and they don't know what hit them. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He sent His only Son into the world. You know, Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God, next verse, did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. Verse 18, because the world already... He didn't have to condemn them. Why? The world already stands condemned. They're already thrown down. We don't have to go out there with our Bible and beat them up, but share that, hey, because we are beat up by sin, we need to show compassion as we begin rescue efforts in this world. We'll start to feel compassion. And then we can, three, number three, focus on the priority of the kingdom harvest. Focus on the priority of the kingdom harvest. Jesus began to feel compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They needed someone. Verse 37, He said to His disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. There's a lot of wrecks out there. Not a lot of tow trucks. A lot of wrecks out there. Not a lot of first responders. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His field. Pray that the Lord would raise up spiritual first responders to show up on the scenes in all of these situations and tragedies of life and the sin-fallen world that we live in and make a difference. Can you see this? So many that are hurting, sin-sick people, each representing 
Listen, even those in our lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our world, and halfway around the world in the Middle East somewhere, each one that feels thrown down, each one that's a wreck, or even causing wrecks in this world, is someone for whom Christ died. And we need to see through His eyes that these are people for whom Christ died. Died. And we can look at the world and say, what a mess. We can look at the world and say, what a wreck. Or we can look at the world and say, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. And be a spiritual first responder. And show up on the scene to make a difference. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. Biggest problem? See, the biggest problem was not the lack of receptivity. I don't like what, I, what appears to be in our world today, a lack of receptivity. But Jesus said the biggest problem is not the lack of receptivity. He didn't say the biggest problem is the political environment. Because the political environment is so hostile to the things of God and so hostile to Christianity, we really can't get anything done around here. It's not what Jesus said. And that's the way I feel sometimes today. Well, it's the political environment. Man, Christians can't do anything without being persecuted, without being under attack. Listen, I know we've sunk a little bit in this area, but not nearly to the level of the Roman Empire and how they persecuted Christians. And Jesus said, in this context, the fields are white unto harvest. No, the biggest problem is not the political environment. It's not the lack of receptivity. It's not enough laborers. So pray for the Lord of the harvest to to send out laborers. That God would move the people of God into action. That there would be a royal ambition, a sense of kingdom urgency that makes us visibly different than those around us. Even many other that claim to be a part of the body of Christ. You know, I don't, I don't fish a lot. I don't hunt a lot. They they probably name it fishing and hunting after people like me because if it weren't for people like me, they would call it catching and killing. But fishing and hunting, some kind of, you know, some people say, well, a bad day fishing is better than a good day at the office. Well, not for me. Um, I enjoy good days doing what what God's called me to do. Some some ask, well, you know, you, you take some time every week. How do you find time to... To, to, to teach some classes over to manual and things like that. And, and I told the students as the school got kicked off this semester, that's my hobby. I don't fish. I don't play golf. I don't do a lot of hunting. So that's kind of a hobby for me. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy being around other students. kind of lights my fire. gives me the energy to, to keep going. But I don't, I don't do a lot of fishing. And the times that I do go fishing, it's been so that I could at least expose my kids to fishing, Right? And uh, every now and then, even catching. But even then, you know what we do with the fish? Didn't care to tell you, other than, you know, the first fish that you got to bring home and show mom. Uh, you know what we do with the fish? Throw them back. You know why we throw them back? Anybody know why we throw them back? Daddy don't want to clean them. Yeah! Yeah, Daddy don't want to clean them. That's why we throw them back, because Daddy don't know why, doesn't want to clean them. Perhaps Mom doesn't even want to smell them in the house. We can buy fish already cooked, you know? 
And it will probably cost less than what we will spend on fishing trips. And so we're very practical people. So we, we throw them back. We had fun fishing. Throw them back. Don't want to go. Here's the problem when we draw the analogy spiritually, though. You know why a lot of people aren't out there fishing? Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. You know why we're not out there fishing? Reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, rescuing them from the wreckage, bringing them in. We don't, we don't want the wreck in our church. We don't want a wreck in our homes. We don't want the mess around us. And I even know of places I've talked with church planters, talked with others, say, you know, we don't want to do anything too evangelistic because we want to be sure that we're able to disciple them. And I realize that we're called to make disciples, not just converts. But I can hear Jesus saying, look, you catch them, I'll clean them. You catch them, I'll clean them. You bring them in. My Spirit will take care of the rest as they're exposed to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I pray that we will become fishers again. First responders for the kingdom of God making a difference in our world. Would you pray with me?